Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Uh, For those joining us for the first time, we are in week five of a series we are calling The Ghost, appropriately titled here on Halloween. And we are talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and his role, his function in our lives. Uh, Our key text that we've been studying for the past few weeks is found in the book of John, chapter 14, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus, speaking to his disciples whom he's walked with for the last couple of years on the planet, telling them that he's now going to ascend to heaven, he says this uh, to them in his departure. He says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And uh, as we've shared every single week during this series, that word helper is the word parakletos in the Greek, and it means someone that walks along side of you. Jesus tells his disciples in the same way that I have walked with you for these last three years and I've offered you direction and I've offered you healing and I've, I've offered you everything that you need. I'm not gonna leave you here as an orphan. I'm gonna send the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. He will be in you and he will be with you. And in my stead, he will walk alongside of you. And again, as we've shared every single week, that was not just a promise made to 12 Jewish boys a couple of thousand years ago. That's a promise that God has made to all of us. Let me remind you today, if you have said yes to Jesus, you've confessed him as Lord, then you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lives within you and he walks in you. You have a ghost alive and well on the inside of you today. (laughs) If I was a Pentecostal preacher, I would tell you at this moment, turn to your neighbor and say, tell him I got a ghost. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, I got a ghost. Sorry if that freaks somebody out. It's going to be just fine. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the fact that that ghost has a bit of an agenda. There's some things he wants to accomplish, some roles he plays in your life. Uh, We've talked about the fact that he is in you because he wants to lead you. Uh, He's not in you so that you can make him follow you, but as it says in Galatians 5, we are to keep in step with the Spirit. He is the leader. We are the followers. We submit our lives and our plans to him, and whatever he says goes. Uh, We discovered a couple of weeks ago that he's also called the spirit of truth. And in a culture that is filled with subjective truth and you get your truth and she gets her truth and everybody gets their own version of truth, the scripture reminds us that the spirit of truth lives on the inside of us and there is such a thing as absolute and objective truth and it is found in the word of God. Uh, And then last week, we entered into a conversation surrounding conviction we began to identify what conviction was and what it wasn't. And if you recall, we we titled the chat Unconfusing Conviction because conviction can be confusing. Sometimes we can mistake feelings of guilt and shame and regret as thoughts from the Holy Spirit when in fact they are not from God. They find their origin in hell itself. Those are condemnation and not conviction. And thus we determined, our thesis, if you will, was that conviction always causes us to run to God, but condemnation causes us to run away from God. And thus where we are running ultimately reveals what we are feeling. 
But if you recall, I said last weekend that the conviction conversation was going to be a two-part chat because in addition to defining the difference between conviction and condemnation, there's another aspect of conviction that we need to discuss, one that is alive and well in the body of Christ today, and that is the difference between personal convictions and universal convictions. What has God said to you and what has God said to everybody? Because, as we're going to discover today, if we confuse those convictions, it can be catastrophic. And we get it, Pastor Tim. You like alliteration. Okay, yes. So today we're going to hit unconfusing convictions part two. Are you guys ready? You don't feel ready to me this morning. You feel a little quiet and a little bit subdued at the 11 o'clock service, all right? So I can't let the nine o'clock service outdo you in your come ons, your amens, your that's goods, your preach it, whatever you got inside of you. So can you preach with me a little bit this morning? You guys up for that? All right. Solid B plus. There's still a lot that will not engage, but that's okay. I will come to your house and I will knock on your door and I will scream at you like I want you to scream at me on a Sunday morning. All right. So as we get into the second half of this chat, we're going to look at another title that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit and one that is particularly important if we're going to unconfuse a subject matter. Uh, back to this lengthy introduction that Jesus gives to his disciples. Uh, John 14, verse 26, he says this. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. The Apostle John continues this thought later in 1 John 2 where he says, but you have received the Holy Ghost and he lives within you, so you, you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. If you can't tell by the inflection of my voice, the introduction here is the spirit as the teacher. In addition to the convictor and the truth and the helper, Jesus says the spirit of God that's alive on the inside of you is also your teacher. He wants to teach you some things. Specifically, he wants to teach you how to live your life. What is right? What is wrong? What is a personal conviction? What is a universal conviction? Uh, let me say it like this. If in week two, the spirit was the sergeant, and in week three, he was the sieve, and if last week he was the schemer, today the spirit is the sage. He is the sage. Or if you like Karate Kid or Cobra Kai, he is the sensei today. Yes, the spirit is the sensei. That's for somebody. I just felt that out there for sure. And if he is the sage and he is the sensei, what does that make you? That makes you the student. He is Miyagi, you are Grasshopper. And today he wants to teach us how to decipher between these two very important spaces of conviction. So let me pray and, uh, and we'll get into the meat of this. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power to awaken our hearts to truth. And right now, as we begin to study the scriptures together, as we go into this very uh, important subject that is playing out in the church even today, uh, I ask Holy Spirit that you would enlighten us so that we could see clearly what your word has to say about conviction. If any of us are carrying in here religious mindsets or things from the past that have clouded our vision, I pray that you would clarify by your word what we need to see today. And most importantly, by the time we leave, may we see Jesus through the scriptures. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 So before Robin and I moved to San Francisco, 
um, we were homeschooling our children for a couple of years. And uh, we moved to San Francisco mid-school year. And those of you who have kids in the school system here, you know that it's very difficult to get your kids into certain schools. The lottery system out here is crazy. Uh, and so instead of trying to get our kids into a specific school when we moved, we decided to continue to homeschool them until the conclusion of that school year before we could enroll them in the school of our choice. And, and I know that like on many Sunday mornings, I've given a lot of grief to homeschool kids and I've made fun of homeschool kids and homeschool parents, but if I'm being 100% honest, I actually really enjoyed that season being our kids' teacher. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we taught them subjects that you'd expect every homeschool parent to teach to their kids. Taught them how to make their own clothes, uh, basket weaving, uh, butter churning, crock decorating, you know, all the things that you teach your kids in homeschool. It was great. But the moment that we were able to enroll my oldest daughter in a certain school, uh, we, we took advantage of that opportunity. We put her in public school, and shortly thereafter, uh, a spot opened up for her younger sister. But after we sent our kids to public school, I realized that there is a, a major flaw in homeschooling. And that is that when you're homeschooling your kids, their education is ultimately limited to the intelligence of their instructors. Fill in the blank there. <laughs> In other words, if your parents don't know it, you probably aren't going to know it either. Now, we did a decent job of preparing our kids in most subjects for school, uh, but one of the homeschool teachers did not do a very good job of preparing his daughters for math in public school. Now, to be clear, I know how to do math. It's important to me that you know that. Like, I can do math, okay? Like, I understand the basic concepts of math. In fact, the reason I was the math teacher in homeschool, or math dad, as my wife called me, uh, the reason she chose me to do math is because we divided up subjects based on our strengths. And I was a little stronger in the math department, so I was math dad. However, I discovered after sending my kids back to public school that apparently math has changed quite a bit since when I was in school. Anyone over the age of 35 with kids that understands that and you can attest to that? Yeah. Yeah, so now they have this new thing. It's called, um, it's called common core math. And it's completely different than the right math that we learned back in the day. It's a completely different philosophy. And, and, and that has become more and more evident as my kids have brought home their homework. In first and second grade, I'm like, I got this. Addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, all day. Third grade, they start coming home with math. And I'm like, I don't, I don't remember this going like this. Do they teach subjects a little earlier now? I don't remember geometry in third grade. Like, what is going on? I'm not trying to reign as a genius, all right? I just want her to be a decent person. Now my kid is in fifth grade. She brings home her homework, and I'm like, I am clearly not smarter than a fifth grader. Like, it is obvious that I don't know how to do any math anymore. It's incredibly frustrating. Uh, and, and I think what's, what's most frustrating to me is that I know how to get the answer. Like, I can get there. They just don't like the process whereby I got, I got the answer. <laughs> Her teacher just doesn't, see, someone's preaching me on, right? You get this, all right? Like, it is very frustrating. I heard one uh, comedian say, he said, common core math, the goal of common core math is to get a child to use the entire sheet of paper front and back for a single problem. Once it is all filled up, then you have arrived at your answer. He's like, it's like you go to someone's house, you knock on the door, they open the door, you're like, hey, can I come in? And, and they said, yeah, yeah, you can come in, but um, would you mind going around and coming in through the back door? Like, but why can't I come in the front door? Like the front door seems to be working just fine. Like, oh no, that's the old way that you come into my house. The new way is you go into the back, you jump over the fence, then come in through the back door, walk down the hallway and meet me right here at the exact same spot that we met in before. Like that's how common core math works. 
know about you, but old math was working just fine for me, right? I'm nearly 40 years old and I made it this long with old math, okay? I can pay all my bills. I can make change at the grocery store. I understand compound interest for my retirement. I can even do fractions. I know what a third of a cup of milk is for a recipe, all right? I know how to do this stuff. But the teachers these days, they just do not like the method that I use to get to the answer. If I were to send my kids to school with my methods, their teacher would fail them because the teacher has determined that what was right for me is not right for them. Same outcome, different process. And and I think that is the fundamental understanding that all of us must have as we enter into this conversation about convictions, that what might be right for somebody else may not be right for you. We all have the same goal, right? We, if you have the spirit of God living on the inside of you, we all have the same goal. We wanna live a life that is pleasing to God, right? At the end of the day, we wanna live a life of holiness that is honoring to our God. But the way we do that might look different from person to person based on personal convictions versus universal convictions. Uh, let me explain a bit further. So going back to our text here, When Jesus begins to introduce the Holy Spirit to his disciples as a teacher, this is a very significant moment. It's a a moment of great comfort for the disciples because those of you who studied the Bible and read through the, the Gospels before, you know that Jesus had fulfilled the role of teacher for his disciples for the last three years. In fact, they called him teacher. Rabbi in Hebrew means teacher. And Jesus taught his disciples the difference between right and wrong. He taught them what they should and what they should not do. But now he's telling them, hey, I'm going to bounce. I got to go. Dad's asking me to come home. But don't worry. I'm going to send you another teacher in my stead, someone who will continue to reveal to you how you are supposed to live your life so you will not be left alone. And this was a very significant promise because if you look back at the teachings of Jesus, what Jesus taught them was quite a bit different than what their other teachers had been teaching them at the time. These Jewish boys, they grew up in in Judaism. And by the time Jesus had shown up on the scene, the Jewish teachers, the the, the priests and the religious leaders, they had added 1,226 commandments to the original 10 commandments that God gave Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. And they had determined that those commandments were the metrics for morality. If you lived by these 1,226 rules, then you were living a life that was pleasing to God. That would be a really rough entry fee to faith, right? Like we don't teach that in our Discover class. We don't hand out a pamphlet of 1,226 guidelines that you have to live by in order to be accepted into the Father's house. But that's how it was back then. That's what the the religious teachers taught. And then Jesus comes around and he goes, actually, it's not about following this list of rules. It's about walking with the spirit. It's about having a relationship with God. And as you walk with the spirit, he will begin to reveal to you what is right and what is wrong. That's why first John says, you won't need a human teacher any longer. You don't need a Pharisee to tell you what you should and what you shouldn't do. The spirit of God on the inside of, of you will reveal to you how you are supposed to live your life. And so now this group of spirit-filled Jewish guys begin to walk with God and they discover that many of these 1,226 commandments were not for them. In fact, they weren't for anybody. A bunch of guys had gotten together and created a list of rules that God never intended to govern humanity. And in walking with the spirit, they begin to contradict what their other teachers were teaching. And as you'd expect, the teachers that taught the law, they got a little frustrated in the process. 
And thus, the origin and birthplace of this problem, conviction, confusion. One group of people saying, this is how you need to live your life if you're going to please God. While another group of people who are filled with the Spirit are saying, I don't think that's what God is asking of me. And this is the problem, the tension that we face. Thus, the need for the sage, the need for the teacher. If Jesus told his disciples that the Spirit would help them distinguish between what was right for others and what was right for them, then we need the Spirit today just as much. I'd love to report to you that the problem is solved, that here we are a couple of thousand years later, there's no longer a debate about what commandments we're supposed to follow and what ones we're not, but how many know that isn't true? (laughs) There is still plenty of debate out there about what's right and what's wrong, even within the confines of Christianity. And thus we need the teacher to teach us today. So in order to truly divide these two, I think we need to define some terms so that we can understand what the Holy Spirit is speaking about. So let me offer you a couple of definitions. Uh, Universal convictions are those that the Spirit permits or prohibits for everyone. Simple basic, right? Convictions are what the Spirit permits and prohibits for everyone. Those are universal convictions. There are certain convictions that all of us as Christians should share. Things that every single one of us need to be convicted of. Uh, If you're wondering what those convictions are, they will all be found right here in this book. Scripture will make it clear what convictions all of us need to be adhering to. I said a couple of weeks ago that the spirit of truth will always speak in alignment with the scriptures. The spirit will always say what the Bible says. He will never speak a word that contradicts the word of God. And the same is true of convictions. If you're wondering what all of us are supposed to be living by, those are found right here inside this book, period. Uh, let me prove it to you by the book. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, All scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Scripture is ultimately the source of universal conviction. So, For fun, let me offer up a couple of universal convictions that all of us should share. And by fun, I mean, let's make it a little bit painful for the next couple of moments. (laughs) So a couple of convictions that all of us need to share. Uh, Forgiveness. Forgiveness is a universal conviction. All of us are required to forgive. Nobody gets to say, I'm just not convicted about that one. I'm sorry, it's in the Bible. And you are required as a person of Christ to forgive. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter six. He said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Someone say, ouch. (laughs) Yeah, that's an inconvenient verse, isn't it? Jesus says, hey, your forgiveness is conditional. It is predicated on your ability to extend forgiveness to those who have wronged you. When we forgive those who have wronged us, regardless of the atrocity, we prove with our actions that we understand the gravity of what Jesus has forgiven us of. We understand that Jesus, you have forgiven me of a mountain of sins, a lifetime of sins. There is no way I could ever repay you for your forgiveness. And so because I have received that, I now give that same forgiveness to somebody because they will never hurt me more than I have hurt you with my sin. But when we refuse to forgive, when we withhold forgiveness, we prove with our actions that we truly don't understand how desperately we needed a savior 
and how much his forgiveness has paid the price for our wrongdoing. Now, forgiveness is a universal conviction. All of us should share that. Here's another one. Inconvenient for many, but a real one. Sexual purity. (laughs) Sexual purity is a universal conviction. Sex in all of its various forms, and yes, I said that on a Sunday morning, is restricted to the confines of marriage, period. That is what the scripture teaches. There's no way to negotiate your way around that. Like, yeah, you know, it's not for me. Eh, it is. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So that's a Bible verse. That's right here. That's a universal conviction. I didn't make that one up. I didn't write it myself. So no one gets to say, I don't really have a conviction about, you know, what I'm doing sexually with my boyfriend or with my girlfriend or the person that I swiped right with last night. No one gets to say that. Why? Because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is not just a piece of meat that you get to do whatever you want to do with here on planet earth and then your spirit is redeemed and you go to heaven one day. That's what the Gnostics taught in the New Testament and it was false doctrine. No, you are a house. You are a place for the Holy Spirit. And when you understand, no, my body is on this planet to honor God, then you won't engage in some of the things that your culture engages in. The sexual purity is not a moving target that's based on your needs, based on the age of, of your life or, or what culture determines is acceptable or not acceptable. No, when I understand I have the ghost of God living on the inside of me. I honor him with my body. That is a universal conviction that all of us must share. Keep clapping as I say the next one. Tithing. First tenth of our income belongs to the Lord. We give back to God. This is a biblical, universal conviction. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew 23, 23. So yes, you should tithe. I'm just going to leave that one there for a second. Look at that cute little revelation over there. Isn't that one great? Yeah, you should give. Why, 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 Why does God say that we need to tithe? Like, does he need money in his church to keep the lights on? Is this like a tax that's levied on Christians? And if you want a bit saved, then you pay your 10% to go. No. No, we give because in our act of giving, we display to God that we understand you are my source. I don't trust my employer. I don't trust the government that somehow continues to send us money that it can't afford to give us. I trust you as my source. You are my provider and nobody else is. And when I give back to God, I am choosing to honor him first with my resources. So before I honor my mortgage company, before I honor my landlord, before I honor Netflix or Spotify or Apple or Starbucks or my favorite restaurant, I honor God first with my resources. That's a universal conviction. Those are right there in the Bible. There's no negotiating those. Nobody gets to say, I don't really have a conviction about forgiveness or sexual purity or giving. I just, the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken to me with that. Why? Because the Spirit will always speak in alignment with Scripture. 
And if it's in here, he's going to talk to you about it. If you say that you don't have a conviction about those things, I would submit that you have a bigger problem on your hands than trying to decipher between personal convictions and universal convictions. You might need to question whether or not the Spirit lives on the inside of you or if you're just ignoring his conviction because he will always say what the Scriptures say. Smile at me, somebody. Okay. However, there are also some other convictions, some that you will not find in the Bible. These are personal they're specific. Uh, again, a definition we'll use for personal convictions, what the Spirit permits or prohibits for you. What the Spirit might say specifically to you that he maybe didn't say to a bunch of other people. Now, again, for clarity, he will never speak something to you so unique that it contradicts Scripture. So, so, so this is not a like, well, you know, the sexual purity thing, that's okay for everybody else, but hey, let me, Jesus whispers to you, you know, I, I know that you're in your 40s and you're still not married, so I know you have needs, so it's okay, you can do that. No, no he's not gonna say that. You're like, dang it, I thought that's what he said to me. <laughs> no, he's not gonna speak something that contradicts scripture. It'll always, it'll always complement scripture. It will never contradict scripture. But there are some things that the Spirit might speak to you uniquely and individually that maybe he hasn't spoken to some other people about. Let me offer, again, a couple of examples, some popular ones. Uh, Drinking, alcohol. Drinking alcohol is a personal conviction. You will never find a Bible verse in Scripture that prohibits a Christian from drinking alcohol. You will never find thou shalt not drink Malbec or Cabernet. It's just not in the Bible. You will find scriptures about drunkenness and drinking too much and the abuse of alcohol. That's a universal conviction that we should all share. But whether or not you drink is a personal conviction. Jesus actually made and drank real wine, real stuff, probably some really good stuff. I'm just, I mean, you know, if the, if the, master of the bank was like, yo, this is the good stuff. Like it was probably some good wine. That whole wives tale about like, oh, it's just grape juice. It wasn't real alcohol in the Bible. That's baloney. That's not real theology. Okay. That's just someone trying to excuse whatever it is that they believe. No, it was real wine. In fact, when you get to heaven, the wedding supper of the lamb, you're going to be drinking real wine in heaven with Jesus. So (laughs) hallelujah. That's the largest amen I've gotten all morning. So those of you who are drinking right now, we're just practicing for the day we're going to show up in heaven, like a little taste test, you know what I mean? (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) That said, I know a lot of people that have a very deep personal conviction about not drinking alcohol. The Holy Spirit has spoken to them and said, hey, that may be okay for others, but it's not for you. In fact, some of my closest friends who will not touch alcohol for a variety of reasons. For some, it's because they've abused it in the past. Others, because in their family line, people have abused it and they've seen the damage that it can do. Uh, For some that actually have convictions about different kinds of alcohol and whether or not certain ones are allowed and others are not. Even some who just say, I don't know, I just feel like the Holy Spirit said don't drink it. Maybe it's just because the Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows that if you were to go down that road, it could be damaging. And so he's spoken to you out of love to say, hey, avoid that because I don't want to see you go down into a pit if you get into it. So I'm going to keep you restricted for now because I know where that leads you. Hey, whatever the reason the Holy Spirit has said to some, don't touch it. So for them to drink, it would be sin. 
but that's a personal conviction. Here's another one. Um, dating. Dating or uh, at a certain age or dating at all, or as uh, Christians call it, courting, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. There's a lot of debate about that. But here's the deal. You will never find a Bible verse in scripture that says at the age of 17 or 18 years old, a young person can engage it. Like you'll never find that in the Bible. It does not exist. Here's what you will find. In the book of Song of Solomon, it says, do not awaken love before it's time. So there is a time and there is a season for anything. And there are certain times and certain seasons that the spirit might speak to you about and say, hey, this is okay for you to do, but this is not okay for you to do right now. And that timing is not someone else's job to determine. It's the timing of the Holy Spirit. Or if you're my kids, it's the timing of your father. And when he determines it's appropriate for you, and he has a strong conviction that you're called to be a nun. So I'm just throwing that out there for consideration. But there are some that the Holy Spirit has spoken to. Again, friends of mine that have said, that the Holy Spirit has said, hey, dating is not for you right now. Well, but I'm, you know, I'm of age and I can get married, but dating is not for you right now. Or, or parents that the Holy Spirit has spoken to and said, hey, for your children, I know that everybody else is doing this right now, but for your children, this is what I'm calling your family to. That God will call you to seasons of singleness for a variety of reasons. For some, it might be to fortify your foundation of faith to ensure that when you do end up dating somebody, you don't end up throwing your convictions to the wind and end up fornicating like everybody else in your society, but you actually have the ability to make it to marriage as a pure person. Maybe for others, it's just because God's saying, hey, I want you to be single forever. I mean, I wouldn't prophesy that over somebody, but there's a Bible verse for it in the Bible. Like there are some that God calls to be single for their entire life so that they can get completely and totally separated unto him and just do whatever he asks them to do. But then there's others that the spirit might speak to and say, hey, the timing thing, this is the person I've called you to be with. I know it's only been three months, but you have permission. I am granting you permission to move forward. The timing is not our job to negotiate. We yield to the Holy Spirit. We yield to his conviction and we follow that personal conviction accordingly. One more. And this is perhaps the most obvious one in light of uh, the holiday we find ourselves in. Let's talk about Halloween. <laughs> Halloween is a personal conviction. It truly is. Uh, I know that like in church, it's a highly debated one, but it is a personal conviction. You will not find a scripture in the Bible prohibiting you from dressing your kids up as their favorite Disney character and robbing candy from your neighbor. You will never find that in scripture. You will find scriptures about not messing around with demonic spirits, glorifying evil, getting involved in the occult, inviting opening doors up for, for the demonic. Yeah, you'll find a lot of scriptures about that stuff. So perhaps the way we celebrate Halloween is unique, but you will never find a scripture that prohibits you from doing what many of us do with our children. That said, there are many people that have a deep personal conviction about this holiday. Someone I know, a good friend of mine, who has a very deep personal conviction about not celebrating Halloween because they came from a lifestyle and a past of witchcraft and messing around with a lot of demonic things and they don't wanna open up any doors for them or for their family and so they avoid it altogether, which I think is wisdom and it's worth honoring and I respect them for that decision. But that is a personal conviction. Drinking, dating, Halloween, all of those things fall into the category of personal convictions. You will not find chapter and verse for them in the Bible. But, and please tune in. If you've tuned out for all those examples, please tune back in. Okay, we're here. We're all here together. Listen to me very carefully. 
it is vitally important that we do not confuse universal and personal convictions. As I stated earlier, if we confuse those two, it can be catastrophic. And here's why. When we confuse personal and universal convictions, then we begin to apply personal convictions universally. In other words, we start thinking that what God said to us, he said to everybody else. And we start trying to hold people accountable for something the Holy Spirit has asked us to do with, which is not our job and not our business. And I know that that might seem like, oh, it's not that big a deal. It might seem harmless. But let me tell you why I think that is one of the most harmful things a Christian can do, to begin to apply personal convictions universally. When we attempt to place our convictions on other people, what we don't realize we're doing, even in our innocence and in our naivete, we begin to rewrite the Bible. We begin to add things to Scripture. What do you mean by that? Well, if universal convictions are only those that are found in this book, when we begin to apply our personal convictions universally, we begin to elevate them to the same place as Scripture. And we begin to add things to the Bible that were never there before. We start saying like, oh, I can't believe these Christians are drinking alcohol. <sighs> There's a reason those things are called spirits. <sighs> Unholy. The pastor, I saw him over at the restaurant in West Portal. He was drinking a glass of wine. I'm finding a different church. Cool. The rest of us are going to enjoy a glass of wine in your absence. Hallelujah. Okay. Just kidding. But when we begin to say those things, we can start saying, well, drinking is unbiblical and they shouldn't be doing that. And we start adding pages to the Bible. Oh, dating? Can you believe that the Smiths let their 15-year-old daughter date that boy. <sighs> I've seen what he does. No, we are Christians. We kiss dating goodbye. That's what we do. We're adding pages to the Bible. That demonic holiday. That kid's pastor, they let their kids dress up in kid's church. She's probably not even saved. They just, you know, she's... Suddenly, we have all these addendums that we've added to Scripture that we've determined belong there. And we've built our own version of the Bible. And when you build your own version of the Bible, you know what you become? You become nothing more than a modern-day Pharisee with your own version of 1,226 different commands that you begin to apply to a bunch of other people and say, this is the metric that morality that pleases God and our personal convictions suddenly begin to give birth to dead religion. And instead of allowing people to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we ask them to bow down to our personal convictions, which is nothing more than a version of cloaked condemnation as we beat them with a club called the Bible that we wrote ourselves. That is dead religion. And if we begin to condemn people with a version of the Bible that we wrote, perhaps we would be wise to remind ourselves of what we determined last week. Condemnation only comes from one place, from Satan himself. So when we condemn other Christians based on our personal convictions, whose team do you think we're actually working for? Let that one sink in for just a moment. 
I, I was uh, on Instagram, um, as every good pastor is, to check up on you people. And uh, this was a week and a half or two ago. And I was listening to a pastor on Instagram do just that, just clubbing people with his personal convictions about Halloween. And uh, he said, I just, no self-respecting Christian would ever allow their kids to dress up and go celebrate Halloween. What you don't realize is that when you allow your kids to dress up, then you're giving permission for a spirit to possess them, the identity of what they're dressing up as. You think you're just letting your kid dress up as Ariel and she's a mermaid, but you didn't know that you were allowing a marine spirit to possess your child. A marine spirit? Where is that in here? I don't remember seeing that one in the Bible. <laughs> and then I start going through the list of things that I've allowed my kids to dress up as. And I'm like, dang it, I'm dipped. My kid was Milan last year, spirit of violence. Elsa and Anna, witchcraft. Cinderella, thirsty, deception. Mary Poppins, spirit of levitation. This year, my kid wanted to be a chicken nugget, spirit of poultry. Like, okay, okay, I repent, Lord, I repent. <laughs> now, most of us are laughing. Some of you are like, yep, that's right. Most of us are laughing because, like, that, that seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But that's how people steeped in dead religion get. There are entire denominations that are built around a group of convictions that were personal to somebody that they began to apply universally. And now there are thousands of different factions in the body of Christ based on these little tiny convictions that God spoke to someone specifically about and then they tried to apply to everybody. And, and I know that some of you are here at the Father's house because you fled from a space like that. You fled from dead religious and controlling environments. And, I'm grateful that God brought you here and that you're finding yourself now talking with the Holy Spirit and allowing those, those, those convictions to be refined so that you can hear clearly, what is God saying to me and what have I bought into over the years and my dead religious upbringing? But let me offer just a promise, a solemn vow to you from, from the pastors at the Father's house. We will never build our own version of the Bible here. There's only one version of scripture that we are interested in adhering to. We're never going to add rules to this thing. We're never going to create hoops that people need to jump through. Scripture still works 2,000 years later, and our church will always be built on the timeless truths that are found in the Word of God, period. Period. So, as we conclude, and man, you guys can come. Uh, here's the million-dollar question that we have to answer today. How do we ensure that we do not fall into this trap. If we are spirit-filled believers, how do we ensure that we don't begin to apply personal convictions to other people? Perhaps more importantly, how do we ensure that we don't receive somebody else's personal convictions at the cost of listening to the Holy Spirit? One word. One word answers that question. Relationship. Relationship with the Holy Spirit. This entire conversation about convictions is not about trying to determine what is right and wrong. It's about one thing. It's about relationship. Being in relationship so that the Spirit can speak to you. Let me show it to you in Scripture. Back to where we started, 1 John chapter 2. John says this, For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and when He teaches, is true. It is not a lie. So, look at this. Just as He has taught you, 
remain in fellowship with Christ. Keep that on the screen, please. Remain in fellowship with Christ. John makes it clear. He's like, hey, yes, Spirit's gonna teach you everything you need to know. He, he will teach you the difference between right and wrong. What he's gonna tell you, it's true, it's not a lie. Don't you worry about it. He'll, he'll tell you about your personal and your universal conviction. So he'll talk to you about that. But the greatest lesson he wants to teach you is to remain in fellowship with Christ. The greatest lesson is for you to be in relationship with him. Let, let me offer you a math equation that Common Core will never teach you. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Rules minus relationship equals religion. Rules without a relationship with the Holy Spirit is nothing more than every other dead religion on planet Earth. But what separates Christianity from every other belief system and every other religion is that we are not following some predetermined set of rules so that we can be accepted by our deity. No, we actually have a God that desires relationship with us. So much so that he came to earth in human form and gave himself up so that we could be connected with him relationally. Let me remind us today, the goal of our faith is not to see how obedient we can become. The goal of our faith is relationship. For if we are in relationship with him, we will obey him as a natural byproduct of that love. Jesus said it like this, if you love me, then you will naturally obey my commandments. This whole thing is about love. It's all about relationship. And I know that that might seem simple for a Sunday morning. Maybe it should be more complicated, but I'm just not a very complicated guy. <laughs> I was talking to somebody this week and he texted me about a rather complicated theological question. and. I was going back and forth with him and it was clear that I didn't know the answer to his question. And so uh, near the end of our text conversation, I said, hey man, at the end of the day, my theology is pretty simple. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I'm gonna go ahead and live there for the rest of my life. That's a safe place to live. And I think that that's a safe place for all of us to live today. Hey, as simple as it sounds, let me just say, Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And if you find yourself in a moment, in a season where you have traded in relationship with the Holy Spirit for some dead religious thought, practice, the Holy Spirit's inviting you to trade that in today, to get unconfused. Probably the easiest way to come back and get unconfused is just go, at the end of the day, Jesus loves me, this I know, and I'm gonna stay there. So as simple as that sounds, I wanna invite you into that this morning. If, if you would, close your eyes and bow your head. And let's make space for that. Holy Spirit, we thank you today that you are here. We thank you that you are the one on the inside of us that guides us in all truth, that speaks to us about what is right and what is wrong. And right now, if, maybe you are someone who's already made a decision to follow Jesus and you've been kind of running after him for a while now, but you would, you would recognize today that there's areas where you've just kind of gotten into the routine of following rules and checking boxes. And that relationship has gone a little dry. Just invite right now the Holy Spirit to fan into flame that passion again. We wanna love you passionately. We wanna wake up and desire to be with you. We long for that relationship.
Maybe there's others here this morning that would say, hey, Tim, um, I, I don't know that I've ever been in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Or maybe I was years ago, but I've, I've been running from God for a while and I find myself in church today, uh, not even sure if the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me. If that's you, um, I wanna invite you before we conclude to say a, pr- a very simple prayer with me and invite the Holy Spirit back into your life. The beauty of Christianity, as I said a moment ago, is it's not complex. There are no hoops you have to jump through. It's simple faith in Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're far from God and you would like to come close again, maybe come close for the first time, I wanna pray with you. But before I do that, I'd like to see who I'm praying with. Would you just quickly for a moment, no one's looking around, would you just slip up your hand and look at me and say, Tim, I need to get things right with God before I leave this place. <laughs> Thank you, got you right there, right there. Yeah, right, and oh, in the back, awesome, yeah. All you guys right there, yes. Right over here, awesome. Yeah, right there, right there. Whew, a lot of people. Hallelujah. All right, I'm gonna say this very simple prayer. You can repeat it with me in your heart. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to come and live on the inside of me. Jesus, I believe that you gave your life for me, that you died on a cross and that you resurrected on the third day. And from this day forward, I wanna follow you. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways. Until the moment I see you in heaven, you look me in the eye and you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. Today, I give you all of me and I receive all of you in return. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.